This week on the Myths and Legends podcast, it's a Russian folktale where epic heroes quest for a flying ship in the hand of a beautiful princess. The quest involves bears, a trip around the world, and way too much off-key singing and vodka. Then, on the Creature of the Week, it's a monster from Fort Worth, Texas, and he'll either throw tires at you or invite you out for ice cream. This is the Myths and Legends Podcast, episode 49, I Pity the Fool. This is a podcast where I tell stories from folklore. Some are incredibly popular stories you think you know, but with surprising origins. Others are stories you might not have heard, but really should. Today's story is a simple one. It's about heroes, a flying ship, and a quest that's really just one big party train which kind of reminds me of Jason and the Argonauts. It's set in Russia, probably in the 16th or 17th century, but time period doesn't really matter since it's a fairy tale. Like most stories of this type, it starts with two young men, our heroes, getting the call to adventure. There were once some brothers, The two were smart, really smart. They could borrow money and not be cheated. That's how smart they were. Really, that's the only metric we have from the story. But their parents told them how smart they were from a young age. And they grew up not just believing, but knowing that they were special. The parents loved the two and gave them every advantage in life. One day, word came from the Tsar, who was kind of like a king. He was giving his daughter away in marriage to someone who could bring him a flying ship. The two smart sons saw that this was definitely not clearly a ploy for the Tsar to not give his daughter away in marriage, sending out a fairly impossible task. They knew that this was their shot. Mom and dad baked them fresh rolls, cooked them all types of meat, and filled their bottles with vodka. The best horses the poor family could afford were outfitted for them, and the village came to the crossroads to see them off. Mom and Dad hugged their sons and told them that they, and only they, could make their family proud. The village cheered for the young men as they rode out of sight to go find a flying ship and, hopefully, one of them would become a prince. They set off merrily on their epic adventure of destiny. They would bring honor to their family. Their name and their deeds would live on forever in legend. Except they wouldn't. About 20 minutes out, they were mauled by a bear and they both died. And that's the end of their story. The parents, though, would never know. And as they were walking back to their hut, they were surprised by a stranger that was following them. Who are you? They asked when they saw the young man about to enter their house. The young man sighed and rubbed his face in frustration. Do we really need to go through this again? I'm your son, your youngest son, your third son. Now the only one at home since my brother's just left. Oh, the parents said, How long have you been here? They asked. Um, always? The youngest son said. Literally my entire life. (sighs) Oh yeah, the parent said. The fool. Sorry, we just forgot you were here. Yeah, I know. The young man said as he entered the one-room hut that he had lived in with them for his entire life. It happens way too often. And it did, and yeah, they actually had three sons. They were super proud of the elder two, who they deemed the smart ones. They were not so proud of the youngest, 
who they called the fool of the world, which, if you have young children, don't do that. Just don't. They disliked the fool, as we'll call him because no one's really named in the story, but they disliked him so much that they forgot he existed. So not only did he live his life openly mocked, but almost completely neglected. It said that they forgot him unless they happened to be looking at him, and sometimes even then. And that's a direct quote. He was sweet, but simple, according to his parents. He said that he would like to try to go out and find a flying ship and be a prince and get fresh bread and vodka. They patted him on the head. Oh, you simple, stupid fool. No, what would even be the point? If you left this house, you'd probably just walk right into the arms of a bear. Spoiler alert, when people say bear hug, that's not what they mean. It's a good thing we told you that, the parents said. We are great parents. Oh, and if you saw wolves, you'd probably just stare at them until they tore you to pieces. No, you're not leaving the house, the parents said, and proceeded to resume forgetting he existed, which seems fairly difficult in a 12-foot by 12-foot hut. The fool, though, kept annoying his parents by reminding them that he existed. He said, I'm going, I'm going, I'm going, I'm going, over and over and over again, until they couldn't stand it. Not only did they have to remember their stupid son existed, but they had to hear the sound of his voice. This is more than should be asked of any parent. They said, okay, they were happy to be rid of him. He asked about those fresh baked rolls, meat, and vodka. The parents said, sorry, those are for the sons we like. You get dry, black bread crust, and hopefully not stagnant water, also no horse. He walked to the door and said, all right, let's get the town together, mom. Dad? He turned around, but the door had been shut. They didn't even care enough about him to see him off. He knew better than to be hurt by them. This had been his whole life. He slung the pack over his back, started whistling a tune, and took off in the direction of his brothers. He passed the place where his brothers had been chased into the woods by the bear. The bear did not extend to him the same courtesy. Presumably, he was sleeping off all the vodka he had gotten into. And I should say when we talk about vodka, it's not like questing for a flying ship was party time. Not yet. Remember, this was the early modern period, so sanitation was spotty. People drank beer, wine, and liquor because it was much more sanitary than untreated water. The fool took heart. He didn't need delicious fluffy rolls or all the vodka he could drink. The hard bread and water would sustain him. And he would find this flying ship and win the hand of the princess. Somehow. About an hour later, he saw an old man sitting off the side of the road, resting by a tree. The old man said hello, and asked the fool what he was doing. The fool was surprised the old man hadn't heard. The Tsar was going to give his daughter to anyone who could bring him a flying ship. And you know how to make or find a flying ship? The old man said, cocking a bushy eyebrow. I do not, the fool admitted. Then what are you going to do? The old man asked. No idea. I don't even know where this road is going, the fool said. All right, the old man said. Why don't you sit down and we can have something to eat together? The fool sat, but he was reluctant to share what was in his bag. It was gross. It was good enough for the fool, but it wasn't the type of meal to eat with guests. The old man smiled. That was of no concern to him. They should eat what God has given. It was then that the aroma hit his nose. The fool opened up the bag and saw those plump rolls delicious meats, and, of course, many, many flasks of top-shelf vodka. 
The fool didn't know what to say, but the old man just told him that God loves simple folk, even though the fool's own mother didn't love him, and he had been robbed of his share of good things in life. Now, let's have some of that vodka. The fool and the old man had a great time, eating fresh bread, drinking vodka, and singing songs together. As the afternoon wore on, the old man abruptly told the fool that the fool had to go. Now, he should go into the forest, to the first big tree he sees. The fool should cross himself three times, and then hit the tree once with his hatchet. Then, he should lay down and go to sleep. The old man smiled. When the fool awoke, he would have his flying ship. The old man thanked the fool for his kindness of the meal, and for his company. The fool thanked the ancient man, who just kept telling the fool to go off into the forest. His ship and the princess were waiting. Oh, and one more thing, the old man said. Be sure to give a lift to anyone you meet. The fool agreed and disappeared into the forest. And we'll see what happens when the fool follows the old man's advice right after this. This week's episode is brought to you by ZipRecruiter. So, I imagine if you're hiring, it's because you need extra help, meaning you probably don't have time to post the job everywhere. Scratch that, you don't have time to look up where everywhere is and then post the job there. The internet's a big place. ZipRecruiter makes it ridiculously easy to get started. You sign up for an account, post your job, and it's on 100 plus job sites, even on social media. You can quickly screen candidates, rate them, and hire the right person quickly. No juggling emails or calls to your office. Better yet, your perfect match might already be out there in the 9 million resumes that ZipRecruiter already has. That's more than the entire population of Switzerland in resumes. That's a lot of resumes. You can use ZipRecruiter to find and post jobs, and they've been used by over 1 million businesses. And right now, listeners from this podcast can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free by going to ZipRecruiter.com myths. That's ZipRecruiter.com myths. One more time to try it for free, go to ZipRecruiter.com myths. This week's episode is brought to you by JackThreads.com. Okay, so if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you know you can buy anything online, anything, from crickets to inflatable beards, you can find it. And I do buy nearly everything online now, nearly. I still hadn't been able to trust buying clothes online until JackThreads.com. They let you order clothes online and try them on before paying for them. You can try anything on at home for free, and you only pay for what you keep. Whether it's a big-name brand or the Jack Threads in-house line, you can be sure you are 100% in love with what you ordered before spending anything. You'll have seven days to decide if it's working for you, and Jack Threads gives you everything you need to send the items back, even the packing tape and a prepaid shipping label. They have shirts, pants, outerwear, shoes, hats, bags, and more. And if you see something you like, you can really just try it out and see if you like it. If you do, you can buy it, and if not, send it back for free. You can go to jackthreads.com and enter code MYTHS before you submit your tryout for 20% off anything you keep. That's jackthreads.com, code MYTHS, to save 20% on anything you keep. Never buy before you try ever again. All right, now back to the show. The fool woke up the next morning in the forest his head fairly sore, and the morning a little too bright. After all the vodka, the fool wondered if he had dreamt the whole encounter with the man. His eyes shut. He reached for his bag and grabbed a roll. 
he didn't dream that. He took a bite, opened his eyes, and stood. Then, he bumped his head. In place of the large tree he vaguely remembered striking with his hatchet, was a ship, parked in the middle of the forest. The old man had told him it would happen, but the fool was still awestruck. It was massive. We don't really have any information regarding what the ship looked like, but I personally would imagine it to have a single sail and enough space below deck for people to live. Not really massive like an 18th century pirate ship. The fool didn't know what to think. He had never even left his village before yesterday, so he didn't know how to sail a ship, let alone a magical one in the middle of a forest. He climbed aboard. It was brand new and wonderful. He went to the rear and seized the tiller. Luckily, he was standing over a bench because the force of the ship rising from the ground pushed him into a seat. It crashed through branches and scraped on trees. Before the fool knew it, he was shielding his eyes from the sunlight, high above the ground. He let go of the tiller and looked out. The forest stretched on in one direction, and in the other he could see his village, a speck of huts and farms. The air was cold and the sun was bright, and the blue sky filled the expanse in front of him, and it was his ocean to explore. He thanked God and the mysterious old man, and he grabbed the tiller. For a fool, he took to flying quickly, and in no time, he had navigated back to the road. Also, despite his alleged foolishness, he knew how much he didn't know about the surrounding countryside. He saw the road like a stream running through the forest, and he knew he had to stick to it. He had learned from the old man that it led to the capital, and if he didn't stick to the road, he could easily lose his way and end up on the other side of the world. He had to find the capital after all, and the Tsar. He had completed basically the one and only step in this quest. As he floated above the road, he saw an odd man with his ear to the ground. The fool was just going to fly on, letting the man sit in awe of his obviously impressive flying ship. But the fool was annoyed that the man didn't take his ear from the ground. Then he remembered the old man's order, to offer a ride to anyone who needed it. The fool let go of the tiller and strained over the edge. He yelled down and asked the man what he was doing with his ear to the wet road. You know horses walk on that. Good morning, Skyman, the person with his ear to the ground said. I'm just listening to all that's being done in the entire world. The fool said, oh, okay, that sounds like a neat talent. Hey, one ride? The man on the ground shrugged. On one hand, he did not know the young man yelling down at him from a flying ship. On the other hand, it was a flying ship, and he would get to see a view that only bird hybrid outlaws and boys with poorly planned wax wings had ever seen. He agreed, and the fool threw down a rope ladder. The fool was generous with his bread, and even more generous with his vodka. And a half an hour later, they were drifting above the road, singing and having a great time. Then, the fool looked down to see something odder than a man with his ear to the ground. It was a man hopping on one foot. He was obviously very flexible because he had his right leg pulled all the way up and tied to his head. He was making his way slowly down the road to the capital. Huh, the fool said. He looks like he could use a ride too. Pick him up, the man who was already on the ship, who we'll call the listener, said. And they did pick him up. They learned that he, too, was special. He had his other leg tied to his head because he couldn't risk it touching the ground. You see, he was super fast. And if both of his feet were on the ground, 
he might accidentally find himself on the other side of the world. It was safer this way. He, too, took a seat on the flying ship, and it was much easier than hopping. It was only a few minutes later when they saw the next man. He was laying down on the road, gun out, and aimed at nothing. What, what are you aiming at? The fool yelled down, surprising the man. There isn't a bird or anything in sight. The man laughed without looking up. He said that if the fool could see the birds, then he shouldn't shoot them. No, only a bird sitting in a tree 700 miles away would be a challenge for the shooter. The fool paused. Guns don't really work like that. and The curvature of the earth alone makes that statement suspect. But whatever. He yelled down asking the shooter if the man wanted a ride. And that's when the man, with such great sight, saw what was right on top of him. Minutes later, he, too, was drinking and singing. You can probably see what's happening. The fool was slowly putting together a group of people who enjoyed hot rolls, vodka, and who all happened to know the same songs. Oh, and they also had superpowers. The next person they saw was carrying a sack full of bread on his back. Enough for 10 men. When they asked what he was doing, he said that he was looking for his dinner. When they asked him, what about your backpack full of probably fairly squished bread? He said that that was but a crumb to him. He needed tons of food to be satisfied. They picked him up. Cruising along in the sky, they saw a man pacing around a lake. He was looking for enough water to slake his thirst. Because this drop in front of him would not do. He could drink half an ocean and still be thirsty. The fool said that he was welcome aboard probably had everyone hide the extra vodka before he threw down the rope ladder. Next, they saw a man taking sticks into the forest. He explained that they weren't merely sticks, but every time he laid a stick on the ground, it would become a full-sized human soldier. The fool shrugged. That was one of the weirder ones. Did the man and his sticks want to ride? Finally, approaching the city, they saw one more man with his arms full of straw. They yelled down, asking him why he was carrying that all by himself. Didn't they have straw in the capital? The man explained that if he spread the straw on the ground, it would become cold. So cold that a summer day would become like winter. Frost would form on the ground, and snow might even fall. The fool said, uh, okay. That still doesn't explain why you're headed to the capital with armfuls of straw, but whatever. Want a ride? It was a sight to see in the capital. It was evening time, and the ship drifted above the houses gently swirling the clouds as it passed. That same fantastical sight was accompanied by a group of super peasants of varying degrees of inebriation belting out folk songs at the top of their lungs. Eventually, the ship found the castle, and it flew right over the walls. The Tsar had heard reports of the ship, and had heard the ship. They were singing pretty loudly. He sent a servant to the courtyard as the ship began to lower, and the Tsar's man was excited to see what majestic prince had come to give them a flying ship and marry the princess. And then the servant saw the fool of the world, who lived in a hut not far from here, and his seven rowdy peasant friends. They were dancing and singing, and one had his foot tied to his head. The servant knew the Tsar, and he immediately saw that magic ship or no, the Tsar would never allow his daughter to marry any of these men, especially not the one standing in front of him, grinning like an idiot and looking like he spent last night passed out in the middle of the woods. The servant politely excused himself and went inside. He went to the Tsar and explained the ship full of rowdy, 
unwashed peasants, and the one who had said he had come for the princess's hand. And the servant was right. The Tsar would never let his daughter marry any of them. But he couldn't just cast them out. Then, the Tsar had a completely original idea that no ruler who wanted to get rid of a young man without looking like a jerk had ever had before. He would give this fool impossible tasks. As the first and only, the Tsar would tell the fool to go retrieve the water of life. It is exactly what it sounds like. It's a MacGuffin that's really, really far away and hard to find. And to rub salt in the wound, to really let this fool know that he wasn't wanted here, the Tsar would make the fool do it before they were even done with dinner that evening. Out in the courtyard, the peasants took the party from the ship to the ground. One in particular, though, had sobered up a bit. He had seen the servant's face. He lay down and put his ear to the ground. And he heard everything. The listener knew how the Tsar planned to trick his friend. The listener gathered the group and revealed it. Some were angry. The fool was great. What with his bread and vodka and free early modern Uber. No, they would not stand for this. Then, one of the companions hopped to the front of the group. By the hopping, you can probably guess who it was. He didn't explain. He didn't have to. All he said to the fool was, Untie my foot. The fool understood and pulled the string. The swift goer, an incredibly awkward name to say, but he's called that in the story, well, he took a few deep breaths, steeled himself, and slowly lowered his foot to the ground. As soon as it touched, the swift goer disappeared. Everyone waited a few moments, and then the servant came with the news about the water of life. In seconds, the swift girl was zigzagging around Russia, bounding through the entirety of the wasteland with a single stride, getting a glimpse of the legendary Nightingale Bandit. He shot past an odd, naked man on a talking horse with a crazed glint in his eye and a sense of terrible power about him. He passed many, many houses on chicken legs. The swift goer widened his search and he began zigzagging across the gnome world, past an Englishman named John Smith, heroically and totally realistically making his way north along the Black Sea. The swift goer shot past houses containing pig-faced ladies in France and then down through a kingdom called Wallachia bordering a land known as Transylvania, and thousands upon thousands of impaled corpses. He passed a young Chinese man, a son of a tailor, dragging a sack full of riches through the wilderness. Finally, ten whole minutes after he left the Tsar's courtyard, he found the water of life. He bottled it and shoved it in his cloak. Then, he thought about it. He could be back to Russia in seconds if he didn't need to circumvent the globe first. He was tired, mainly from running all over the world in under a minute, but also mainly from the vodka. It was a warm summer afternoon where he had found the water, and he decided to take a power nap. Just 20 minutes. They hadn't even started the dinner at that point, he guessed. He lay down in the sun-warmed grass and held his own foot, so it wouldn't touch the ground and have him end up in the middle of the Atlantic. The swift goer shut his eyes. An hour and a half later, the fool was starting to get worried. No one was partying anymore, and everyone was anxious about the swift-goer. It looked like the Tsar had almost finished with dinner, too. Then, the listener yelled from down below. He had been listening for the swift-goer for the last ten minutes or so, 
and he had found the man. The listener could hear his snoring. He was incredibly far away, too far for them to reach in time. Then, the shooter said, almost too far. He asked what else the listener could hear. The listener said that there was a windmill. Oh, and a fly buzzing on the windmill above the sleepy man. The shooter looked out. Got him, he said. I have eyes on the fly. Wait, you can see a fly 30 feet above the swift goer, but you can't see the swift goer sleep on the ground, the fool said. You know what? Never mind. Take the shot. The shooter nodded, aimed, and fired. He hit the fly, vandalizing a windmill thousands of miles away. The swift goer gasped awake when he heard the shot thud on the windmill above him. He dropped his foot and almost ended up in the middle of the Indian Ocean before course-correcting and heading back to the Tsar's courtyard. He skidded to a stop, wavering on one foot and yelling for his rope. When his leg was tied safely back around his head, he smiled and presented the fool with the water of life. And not a moment too soon, the Tsar sauntered out with a smug smile, which was washed away when the fool produced the vial of water. Of course, he didn't admit defeat and introduced the fool to his daughter, but said that he needed to go talk to his servant. Privately, as they went back to the castle, the fool nodded to the listener, who put his ear to the ground. Now, the Tsar, for all of his lying, was at least persistent. He really didn't want to give his only daughter in marriage to this fool. Had he bothered to learn anything about the fool or his strange friends, he would have known not to challenge them as he did. The next challenge was for them to eat 12 oxen roasted whole, as well as all the bread that could be baked in 40 ovens. The eater took care of that in seconds. Next, they needed to drink 40 barrels of wine, with 40 bucketfuls in each barrel. The fool lamented, saying that he had never had more than one bucket of wine in one sitting. Which, when did measuring wine servings by the bucket fall out of favor? Anyway, the drinker managed to down each barrel faster than the servants could pry the top from them. The Tsar was angry, giving them an impossible task and nearly bankrupting himself by giving them too much food and wine hadn't really worked. Now it was time to try some good old-fashioned murder. Boiling him alive would be much more straightforward. He should have just tried that first. The Tsar would have him get ready for his wedding by bathing in an iron bathhouse. His servants would warm the water and the iron bathhouse until the iron house glowed orange. Of course, the listener heard all of this. The Tsar came out to the ship and said, Congratulations, son. He had passed the test, and he was surprised to find the fool already in a towel when the Tsar told him that he had to take a bath. The fool seemed happy, and he just asked if he could bring a friend along to bathe with him. Also, his friend was bringing armfuls of hay. Don't worry about it. The Tsar consented. This was weird, but they would be dead soon led far outside the city to a little iron house. It was just a bathtub and an oven inside. The servants slash murderers in the Tsar's employ unceremoniously shoved the fool and his friend inside, shut the door, and wedged an iron bar in the handle. Then, they went to work heating up the water. the fool and the man with the cold straw almost died because it was too cold. They vastly overestimated how quickly the water would get warm. So, as soon as they were inside, they dropped most of the straw. As the servants piled wood around the iron house and watched it start to burn, 
the fool and the man with the straw had the lower half of their bodies frozen in a block of ice as snow came down on them in a sealed house. Eventually, the iron house glowed orange, but inside it was just warm enough to be comfortable with the snowstorm raging around them. In the morning, the servants were surprised to find not the burned out husks of the fool and his friend, but the two huddled together directly on the furnace. They ran from the iron house, still hot to the touch, and grabbed their furs and cloaks to warm up. As most men have to do to get married, the Tsar then put forth the completely reasonable request of having his potential future son-in-law recruit an entire army by himself overnight. I mean, this isn't completely unorthodox. I'm married. I had to do it. The fool, though, was worried for some reason. How was he going to find and outfit thousands of soldiers in one night? The Tsar said, yeah, that's the idea. You can leave the keys to the flying ship with the servants and feel free to get out of my city by first light. One of the fool's companions pushed his way to where the Tsar and fool were talking. He had way too many sticks and a pack on his back and said that the fool would have the army by morning. When the Tsar left, I can imagine the man with the sticks turning to the fool and saying, really? You forgot the one thing I can do? You know what? Let's just get to work. And these powers are kind of hard to keep track of. So if you don't remember, this man's power is making soldiers from sticks that he throws on the ground, which, sidebar, is a really great talent if your buddy needs an army to get married, but it's not so great if you ever want to play fetch with your dog. The next morning, the Tsar awoke to yelling and marching and drilling. He climbed to the highest tower and looked out, and on the plain before his city, as far as he could see, were soldiers with press suits and shiny guns. At their head was the fool. In the night, he, the man with the sticks and the swift goer, worked together to get as many twigs as they could, thousands upon thousands, and the man with the power to make the army flung them onto the plain, making soldier after soldier until his arms burned. The Tsar, in his tower, was not happy with himself. This had backfired. The fool walked into the Tsar's castle, flanked by his newly created generals, and his seven peasant friends. He went right up to the Tsar and said that not only did he complete the man's request and find an army overnight, but he had an army 10-ish times larger than the Tsar's, camped right outside the Tsar's city. He looked the Tsar in his eyes. There will not be any more tests. The Tsar agreed and took the fool to introduce him to the princess. When they met the princess, the Tsar informed her that, hey, I tried not to marry you off to a stranger, but I may have inadvertently doomed us all. Anyway, here's your new husband. He left the two alone together so that they could get to know each other in the 10 minutes before they got married. Now, a ruler giving his daughter, a human being, as a prize to whomever can bring him the coolest stuff is problematic from a modern perspective. But this is something that happens all the time in these stories, and it would be misleading to say that the daughter had any choice in the matter, at least from her father's perspective. We do know, according to the story, that the princess fell for the fool. She had met princes before. I mean, in her life, she had had princes, princes kneel before her. And these had been princes, princes who adored her, but they were never quite right for her. She had probably heard rumors of the man's army outside of the city, so she didn't quite know what to expect when she met the man, but she did not expect this. He was kind-hearted, unassuming, and sweet. He was courteous and nervous and 
and seemed to genuinely care for her, and if she actually wanted to marry him, she learned all about him, that he was a peasant of no noble birth, that his parents had considered him a fool, and that he had come here not by his own bravery or ingenuity, but by his humility, kindness, and through the help of his friends. And like I said, the princess had met many princes, but none like this peasant that thought himself a fool. When they emerged to the crowds for their wedding later that day, both were excited to be marrying the other. The courtiers loved the fool in his straightforward nature, and the people loved him with a fierce loyalty. He was one of them. He and his wife ruled with a kind, even hand when their time came. Everyone in the court respected his intelligence and imitated his way of speaking. And the peasant who became a king, hopefully, maybe, learned that he wasn't so foolish after all. This was a fun little story. I think most of the Russian fairy tales we've looked at have either had a Prince Ivan or a main character that was a child of a rich merchant. This one was a peasant who grew up in a hut. Not only was he a peasant, but he was the youngest son, someone whose own parents considered him to be a fool. He didn't become a prince through killing a sorcerer, Baba Yaga, or a dragon, but by sharing his food with a holy man, offering what he had to his friends, and calmly and patiently putting in his dues in a world that was stacked against him. I don't think this story would have been told to princes or nobles, but by peasant parents to their children, telling them that with kindness, friendliness, and a flying ship, you too can be somebody. That's it for this week. Next week, we're looking at the story of Dracula. While it's not really folklore, it was partially inspired by a medieval ruler whose legacy is way, way bloodier than the most famous vampire of all time. Also, vampire folklore is weird, and you'll see why you should paint an extra set of eyes on your dog. Okay, so I have an announcement. You know I mentioned a while ago that we're working on a new show? It's finally here. It's called Career Day, and it comes out November 15th. My wife, Carissa, is the host and producer, and she's been talking to people with different jobs from all around the world. Each episode has interviews with two or three people that are related in some way. It has all those interesting little details about different jobs, of course. I learned that cows wear pedometers, but the show will also have these really human stories of how people got to where they are in their lives. I've been involved in the editing process, and the interviews are amazing. Some are really funny, some are touching, and some are inspiring. What I love about the dusty old stories I tell in this podcast is how they shine a light on humanity and how they tell the stories of people. That's what this new show does, but it's from a modern perspective. It's really cool. And you can subscribe now, hear the promo, and get the first two episodes the minute they come out. It's on iTunes or the podcast app at itunes.careerdayshow.com or just search for Career Day wherever fine podcasts are found. So yeah, please check out the promo and subscribe on iTunes. Once again, that's itunes.careerdayshow.com. I put a bunch of links in the show notes too. The creature this week is the Lake Worth Monster from Fort Worth, Texas in the United States. Very nearly 50 years ago, in the summer of 1969, there was, of course, a half-man, half-goat, half-fish attacking couples in their cars by the lake. It had the top half of a goat, the bottom half of a man, and scales. Somewhere. It was generally believed to have been a hoax until one man came forward with a dented car 
supposedly from the monster jumping down on it and then running away. Then things escalated way too quickly. The next night, the area around the lake was crawling with armed Texans and the creature was seen that night. Standing at the top of a hill, it threw a tire down at the group of people and then ran off and it was shot that night. On camera, just one picture of the Lake Worth monster exists and it's a nearly formless, vaguely Yeti-like white pillar that looks nothing like a man, goat, or fish. Fort Worth was apparently swept up in monster fever in the summer of 69, and the creature was supposedly seen many times by many people. They found tracks that were too big for a human, as well as several goats that had been killed by the monster. Allegedly, the police who did a serious investigation after the incidents with the car and tires were more worried about people combing the woods with guns than any man-goat fish. In 2005, a reporter in Fort Worth received an anonymous letter from the goat man who had just turned 55. The person said that the goat man was, as the police thought at the time, just a teenager. He said that he and his friends had just made a costume to scare some girls and then things got out of hand slash really fun. The whole tire thing was an accident. They rolled it down a hill, but it bounced and so it just looked like they threw it. He remembered the picture being snapped too. And after that picture, the mysterious and terrifying man-goat fish went to Dairy Queen, where he had a parfait. We don't know if this is a true account or some prankster messing with a reporter over a story 40 years after it was relevant. Regardless, if you go to Dairy Queen and see a man-goat fish sitting there eating a parfait, stay cool and just get out of there before he starts launching tires at you. That's it for this week. The theme song is by the band Broke for Free, and the Creature of the Week music is by Steve Combs. Other music is by Pottington Bear, Blue Dot Sessions, and there are links to still more music in the show notes. And another thanks to jackthreads.com. Have you ever ordered clothes online and got to try them on before you paid? Never, right? Well, with Jack Thread's new tryout feature, now you can. Try on anything at home for free and only pay for what you keep. You can go to jackthreads.com and enter code MYTHS when you submit your tryout for 20% off anything you keep. That's code MYTHS, M-Y-T-H-S, at jackthreads.com. All right, that's it. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next time.